Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you open your word to us, that you give us ears to hear, hearts to obey you, and that we would go home ruminating on what it is that you would have us consider, and that we follow where you lead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, happy football season, everyone. Um, I am a football fan, and it's okay if you're not, but um, I'm not the kind of, I'm the kind of fan that starts paying attention now. At the start of the season, I do not really follow preseason. I could not tell you what happened during preseason, um, but the coaches very much do. Preseason goes on for a whole month before um, the season starts because by the time the season has started, teams have to cut 41% of the roster that they start with. They start with 90 players, give or take, and then uh, by the time of their first game, they have to get it down to 53. And so they are paying very close attention to who is doing what and how everyone is performing, who is achieving, who's getting it right, essentially who is qualified to take the positions that they're competing for, regardless of how they were recruited, whether they were drafted or they're just trying out, what have you. And this is by no means confined to the sports world. Our whole lives were sent the message that to get the job, you have to earn it. You have to be qualified. If you enter the job market, a lot of energy goes into tailoring your resume from the last time you sent it out, to catering the language to the position that you're applying to, to try to communicate to the potential employer that you are not only qualified, but you are the most qualified for the job. Now, that's not, this is not to discourage hard work at all. By all means, study hard, work hard. Tailor your resumes. But how then is one qualified to be part of the most important mission that humans have ever been a part of? Our passage today, we're looking at the recruitment of one of Jesus' more well-known disciples, Simon Peter, more commonly known as simply Peter. And as we look at Jesus' interactions with him and how Simon responds to Jesus, we'll see some key things that are important qualities to participate in Jesus' mission of the kingdom of God. This month, we're going to jump around Luke a little bit. We ended our parables in Luke. We'll, we're going to stay here for a little while and look at various interactions between Jesus and his followers, seeing how they inform us on carrying out God's mission in our context now, up to this point, we're in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, and up to this point, Jesus has been busy healing, teaching, freeing people from demonic oppression, and a lot of his activity has been around Simon's home, which is either in or near Capernaum. Simon likely has heard Jesus before. It's a, a little uncertain as to whether this is at, chronologically after he heals his mother-in-law in chapter 4, or if Luke is giving us backstory. But regardless, he's comfortable enough with Jesus in this scene to accommodate him. And the scene is similar, if not identical, to the one we found in Mark 4 when Jesus taught on the sower. He commandeers a boat to separate himself from the crowd so they can see and hear him better. And 
This time he picks Simon's. And we're not told what Jesus taught. But Luke keys in on the interaction between Simon and Jesus. And it results by the end of the scene of Simon getting the catch of his life, one that communicates to him that a miracle has occurred. And to the point where he recognizes his unworthiness before Jesus, and yet receives an invitation from Jesus as he tells him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And it, the scene closes with Simon and his partners, James and John, pulling their boats in, and it tells us that they left everything and followed him. Now, there's not a lot that's notable about Simon at this point. We know he's a fisherman from Galilee. An average Joe from a marginal region, which happens to be the same region Jesus is from. And now, while there's not much that's noteworthy about him, he does serve in this scene as an example for all who would follow Jesus and participate in his mission. Jesus summarizes his mission earlier in chapter 4, verse 43, when he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. People are trying to keep him where he's at, and he needs to keep moving to proclaim the good news. This is the work that his followers continue after the resurrection, that we continue, we who follow him. As God's kingdom has been initiated into this world with his ministry, and we who follow him continue the work in the hope of Jesus bringing it in its fullness when he returns. Now today we'll look at three things that are important to participate in Jesus' mission. And the first thing Simon shows us is simply obedience. Plain and simple. The first act is simple. He lets Jesus use his boat. The next act is a little, there's a little more to consider. Jesus tells him to put out into deep water and let down his nets for a catch. Consider what is happening in this scene. Jesus, the carpenter's son, is telling the professional fisherman how to fish. When was the last time you enjoyed someone telling you how to do your job? Let alone after you have just done it all night with little to show for it. Not only that, Jesus gives him bad instructions, according to the fishing textbook, so to speak. The best fishing was close to the shore at night. And in the daytime, he tells him to go into deep water and put down the nets. After they had already cleaned the nets, which they'll have to do again if they obey. So it's not only bad instructions on the surface, it's a really bad time. And we might see a little bit of this tension in Simon's reply. Master, he says, just acknowledging Jesus as a teacher, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Keep in mind that Jesus probably already knows this. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus' request doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's not at a good time, but Simon is willing to say, but because you say so. 
And that makes all the difference. As I heard one pastor kind of launch off of this passage and say that Jesus hears this and he says to himself, I can build a church on that. That is not in Luke. But eventually, he does lead the church. The things Jesus tells us to do do not always make sense. The people that he leads us to do not always make sense. And they're not always at convenient times. Really, Lord? That guy? Now? And it's in those places that require a level of trust that moves us to obey. If we want to participate in the mission, we have to be willing to obey. Just at a practical level. If you want to do God's work, you have to do the work that God tells you to do. The next thing we see is after the catch. Simon and his partners, in obeying, they get a catch that's so big it almost tears their nets. It almost sinks two boats. And it's big enough that experienced fishermen recognize it to be supernatural. And Simon's reaction is instructive. In verse 8, he sa- he, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He gets the catch of a lifetime and tells Jesus to go away. This might seem counterintuitive, but it's actually something we see throughout Scripture when people encounter God's power and immediately because of it recognize their unworthiness. And he may not have a full theology of who Jesus is, but he knows enough to know that God is working through him. And that he has encountered God's power through Jesus. And that he is unworthy. But Jesus comforts him and recruits him for a new job. And it's this awareness of his sinfulness and Jesus' holiness that contributes to him being part of the mission. He shows us that a big part of participating is knowing who we are, and knowing who Jesus is. There are two mistakes. Simon recognizes his sin. That's his first reaction. And there are two extremes that we can fall into with regard to our sin that are unhelpful to participating in the mission of the kingdom of God. One is simply pretending it's not there. And humans maybe especially religious humans, like myself, will often try to sweep our flaws under the rug. That's often our tendency. Because we want to look qualified. We want to look like we belong. We want, as we said last week, we want to look the part. On the other end of things, the other extreme we can fall into is being so focused on our brokenness that we disqualify ourselves from doing God's work. Maybe telling ourselves, what difference can I make? What is it worth me trying when I'm dealing with X, Y, or Z sin? Or when we recognize a broken pattern that continues to surface. 
we can resolve both of these issues by simply acknowledging the truth. We aren't qualified. We aren't qualified to do God's work, plain and simple. Because as Peter is well aware, we're sinners. And Peter gets this, and he knows who he is. But he also comes to Jesus and knows enough about Jesus that he falls at his knees. And so while his sentiment is completely understandable, our takeaway is not that he tells Jesus to leave him. It's that he falls before Jesus, acknowledging his holiness. He may not know everything that the, the historic creeds testify to concerning our theology of who Jesus is, but he knows enough to know that God has just done something big, bigger than himself. And we might be sinners, but the Bible is full of God working through sinners by God's grace. And Jesus is calling Simon in spite of his sin. And that is what qualifies him. Not even the things that we're taking away from him, not even his behavioral patterns in this passage. What qualifies him is Jesus invited him. That's what qualifies us, the invitation. Because if we know who we are, and we know who Jesus is, the Lord who forgives us and transforms us through his grace will also use us to accomplish his work. It doesn't mean that our sin doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that we probably can't do more as we are transformed, but the process of our sins being forgiven, of our brokenness being healed continually, it begins with us recognizing it before Jesus. The last thing we see Simon instruct us in, along with James and John, is at the end of the passage when it says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They show us that part of participating in the mission is getting our priorities right. Having the right priorities. They just got a miraculous catch of fish. It was the thing that they had started their work day chasing. And they left everything and followed him. If that worries you, if that makes you a little uneasy, that's okay. It's understandable. But before you put your house on the market or break your lease, consider, Jesus' call looks different to different people. What is important is having the priorities, enough to be willing to give up what he asks. To the ruler, in chapter 18, he tells him to sell all he has, give it to the poor, and then come follow him. To the man he frees from demonic oppression in chapter 8, who wants to go with Jesus, he tells him to go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. I don't know what Jesus is going to call you to. He might call you halfway around the world. For some of you, I know he already has. Welcome back. 
or he might send you home. And for some of us, that might actually be harder than traveling around the world. But at the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves if we are satisfied with just fish, temporary things, temporary rewards, temporary fulfillment. Jesus provided miraculously for Simon, but he invites him to something much bigger. And he has a very good catch, probably even a lucrative catch. But the fish cannot do for him what Jesus can and will. The fish will not transform him. The fish will not give him eternal purpose. The fish will make him a little money and keep him alive a little bit longer. But the fish will not give him life, abundant life, now an eternal life to look forward to. Are we after fish? Are we after the next big haul? A bigger salary? A new house? Another house? Another trip? Are we after new titles, a new position? Just maybe even just a reputation? Or do we have our priorities in order? Because Jesus calls Simon away from his job, but he invites him to something much bigger, much more important. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. What in the world is Jesus talking about? In short, and to put it, Maybe a little crudely, he's simply talking about what he's doing with Simon. Recruitment. And while that's the, that's the metaphor I'm using to frame this series, and first let me confess that I hesitated to use it. Because it does seem a little crude to us. Especially when, you know, it, it feels a little weird applying the metaphor of fishing to people. It seems a little objectifying doesn't help that fishing kills fish. If it does help you at a technical level, Luke uses the word for live capture, but still, it's weird. It might help us to recognize what Jesus is doing. He's playing off a framework that Simon knows well and inviting him into something greater. There's a lot that goes into fishing for a living. There's a lot that goes into it as a hobby, but all the more so if you do it for a living. It is a discipline that Simon had to learn that required the cooperation of his team and his partners. It required a technical knowledge of his setting and the tools of the trade, all to catch fish. Jesus is telling him that he is entering into a new discipline. And he's going to have to learn new things. And he's going to have to learn to cooperate with people that he may not want to. He will have to do it alongside others. But he will do it to catch something far more valuable than fish. He will do it to catch priceless people. 
for God's kingdom and God's kingdom mission. For us, in our context, this is, I mean, Jesus' words are holistic, but for us, they may speak in a more direct sense to the task of evangelism. For some of you, I just said the E word. I know there's a lot of mixed emotions that go into that, into concepts of evangelism. And for a lot of you, it might be because you may have had similar experiences to me. Maybe some of the concepts you were raised with were, at best, less than helpful. Maybe even unloving. Maybe, before you came to know the Lord, you were the target of some of those concepts. And they left a real bad taste in your mouth. And I get that. I know some of the things that were called evangelism when I was growing up in the faith seem more like sales tactics. They seem similar to the instructions that are given to telemarketers than discipleship. Well, I won't... There's the danger in limiting how the Holy Spirit might work. And so he, I'm not saying he might not be able to work through those things, and he, probably, and he has. I know for some people he has. But it's important to recognize that evangelism is not sales. It is inviting people into God's kingdom by proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of the kingdom of God, which is advancing under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus is doing. It's what he invites Peter into. And it's what we who follow him are called to do. This is a key part of our mission as a church. And I don't mean that generally big C church. This is part of our mission statement. Here. And if you don't believe me, it's on the front of your bulletin. Yes, I put that there before the service. Because I want to read it with you. It says, We exist to glorify God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by becoming mature disciples of Jesus Christ and inviting others to join us. That's what Jesus is talking about. That last line, inviting others to join us in following Jesus, in knowing Jesus. It's not selling someone a bill of goods. It's not shaming people. It's not starting arguments and trying to win them. It's finding other people like Simon who want more than just fish who are longing for eternal purpose, who are longing for hope, who want more than just the grind of life, and who are looking for a remedy to their brokenness and their sin, and for whom the message of Jesus resonates with. Inviting people to follow Jesus to become subjects, heirs, and agents of his kingdom is not something that we just support our missionaries in doing, although it is. It is why we are here on the corner of Fingston and Techni.
And we'll dig in, we'll look at, as we go through the series, we'll look at Jesus' disciples and inform the task a little bit more. And it won't be exhaustive, if that's even possible, but it'll give us some handles of how we invite others to join us. And if that makes you uneasy, if it still makes you uneasy, consider Simon. As we read through the Gospels, we see him portrayed as a man who is very passionate, sometimes in his convictions that are very good, and sometimes he is passionately wrong. He is the first among the disciples to declare Jesus as Messiah and the one who denied that he even knew him while Jesus was on trial. And yet, Jesus doesn't give up on him. He eventually does lead the church. And in the wake of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, we see him make fearless gospel proclamations, even to the people who crucified Jesus, who sentenced him to die. Acts 5.29, Acts 5, we see a statement that, is, that shows this very well when he says he's on trial and they're trying to get him to stop preaching the gospel. And he tells the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than human beings. That statement starts with, because you said so, I will let down the nets. The truth is, as we said, nothing we do qualifies us. And we're going to make mistakes. We do. It just is. But we don't have to do it alone. And Jesus' invitation very much qualifies us. When we say yes to Jesus, when we acknowledge our sin and his lordship, when we prioritize him and his kingdom, there is no telling what God will do through us. As Jesus invites us to follow him, he invites us into a mission with greater purpose than anything this world could offer us. And we've already been qualified by his invitation. Let us be willing to continually give him our yes. Let's continue worshiping our Lord.